Welcome to the I Am In podcast. This semester, the Boise Nampa Institute will interview members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We will hear stories from their personal lives, examples of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed them. We hope you will join us each week to strengthen your faith in the Savior and gain hope for the future. Today we are here with President Millington from the Boise YSA Stake, and we are excited as he's newly called to be a counselor to President Vern Porter. And we just want to start with a little background. Um, President, why don't you tell us where you came from, a little bit about your history, and we'll start. That's great. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to just talk a little bit about um, you know, what I've been up to and how maybe it's led to where I am today. Um, I'm finally getting to the age where I look back at my life and say, this has been a really interesting journey. There's been a lot of interesting things I've done along the way, and it's, um, I guess it's fun to get to that point in life where I can look back and say, um, I can see some really interesting things and what's happened in my life that um, the Lord's hand in my life, in many places in my life, and I'm looking forward to the next however long I'm expected to be in this life and see what the Lord has in store for me and my family. So anyway, I appreciate the opportunity to chat a little bit, and I will just say that I love the members of our YSA stake. I just love them. They're just so wonderful. They're filled with um, optimism and great ideas, and uh, the church is in great hands going forward. So anyway, I've just loved the last year and a half serving as a bishop, but I'm thrilled to have another opportunity to continue to serve um, in the YSA State Presidency. So anyway, thanks for having me. I really We're appreciate it. So anyway, I, I will tell you that to, to know anything about me would, would start about 175 years ago. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I get a little emotional about this, but um, the Lord's hand in my life started then when my ancestors uh, joined the church in many different places in Europe um, in 18 in the 1840s and 50s. And they accepted the gospel. They heard it, and they accepted it, and they came to what was at that point Zion. And they made their way as pioneers, and some of them later on a train, to the Salt Lake Valley, and then from there they kind of dispersed across eastern Idaho and, and Utah. And, uh, and that's where my story, I think, really starts when it comes to my journey in the gospel. Mm. I was raised by a grandparent, not raised by grandparents, but I was raised by my parents, and my grandparents were always talking about um, their pioneer ancestry. And so I grew up with those stories always on my mind. And every time I was with my grandmother, she would be telling stories about her great-grandmother, who she knew um, and had been a pioneer. And, um, and their dedication and faith and devotion to the restored gospel I think formed early in my mind, and it has guided me a lot in my life. I think about um, my accountability to them. At some point, I think I'm going to have to, um, I don't know, I, excuse me again for being emotional, but I think I'm going to have to have a conversation with them about what did their sacrifice mean to me? What did what they do in, in walking across the plains, some of them in handcart companies, what did I do with that legacy? And so anyway, that has informed, I think, a lot of my choices, mm -hmm. thinking about my ancestry. So anyway, when you read in the Book of Mormon about remember, remember, I'm trying to remember a lot. 
and I'm hoping to build a legacy, or, or not build, but continue that legacy so that my children and grandchildren and others can look at me as a link in that legacy and say, okay, my dad did the right thing most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> at least he tried, right? So anyway, that's just, I think, as you can tell, because I'm kind of emotional, that that link is absolutely critical to the way that I look at my life and where I fit and um, what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, so. and I share that with you. I have a 50-year gaps between myself, my father, my grandpa was born in 1877, and my great-grandpa was in Nauvoo, probably with your grandparents. Probably so, absolutely. Came from Europe. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be funny. We'll get together in the next life, and we'll say, hey, you were in Nauvoo, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it is powerful to go back to their courage and what they did. At the same time, they will look at you with the courage living in this day and the challenges that you are bombarded with and the leadership you're giving these young adults. Completely different. You know, you have probably more pairs of shoes and more coats than they had, but... But what we deal with virtually is a challenge that they'd never even comprehended. Yeah. Yeah, it's a totally different world. It truly is. And and I look at uh, some of our wonderful young single adults, and um, and they are the pioneers, which, which for me, I have even more respect for them because they're the first ones. They're the first of, a, of many generations, perhaps, that will that will be a part of the restored gospel and a part of building up this church. So I look at them and say, yeah, I'm pretty blessed to have this background. They're starting new. They're having to teach everybody around them about who they are and why they've accepted the gospel. And it's like, this is really cool. Yeah. And I look at their courage and think, you know, they're building their own legacy, which is just awesome. So it anyway, is. so anyway, that's just kind of the background for me. And I, I grew up in Eastern Idaho. I was born in Utah, but I don't remember anything about living there. So I'm, I have a hard time, you know, teasing the Utah things, but because I was born there. <laughs> you don't have to tell people that. <laughs> That's exactly right. You can claim Idaho. Huh? But I do claim Idaho, and I never, I don't remember living in Utah. My parents, when I was um, young, moved to Idaho or to eastern Idaho, and I basically grew up in, in Chubbuck, and then my first memories are living just outside of Blackfoot on a little farm. And my dad, who was an accountant at the tractor dealership, literally, uh, we had this little farm, and so I grew up on the farm, and I learned how to work hard early, how to take care of the cows morning and night, and just, um, it was, a and, and then in the summer times, you know, we didn't have much, I didn't grow up with much, and we were kind of scraping to get by, and but we made, I mean, like, we made these little wooden boats, my brother and I, and we floated these boats up and down the canal, I mean, that was entertainment for us, which was the healthiest, cleanest entertainment, and, um, you know, we had horses that we rode all summer long and we just have these adventures that we talk about now and we're like can can you believe we just we would just go out the door and at some time during the day my mom used to say well when they get hungry they'll come home and that was exactly how it was so we had this wonderful um growing up experience but we had nothing and we didn't really know that you know we didn't really know that till maybe sometime later in our lives were like, you know what? We were really scraping by. We, we didn't have very much out there, but we had what we needed and it was just awesome. So, and and during that time period, we sold this little farm that we were on, moved to another farming community. And, um, and everybody there was, almost everybody was farmers. And so the jobs that I had were moving pipe, starting in eighth grade. Um, you know, I moved pipe all summer so I could buy my school clothes in the fall. And it was just, you know, I learned a lot about responsibility and take care of myself and um, and hard work. And I worked at a dairy farm, you know, through high school. I'd get up and milk cows at five in the morning, 
come home, get ready for school, go to school, come home from that and go back to milking the cows. And, and my dad used to say, you'll learn a lot of good lessons working on a farm. And I did learn a lot of great lessons. One of them was I didn't want to work on a farm. <laughs> Those cows that had you with your career choice. Yes, absolutely guided what I was going to do. Those cows had no idea when it was Christmas morning, or those cows had no idea if you'd been out with your buddies on a Friday night and you still had to go milk the stupid cows on Saturday morning. So, anyway, that was one of the many lessons I learned, and it sort of guided me from there. So, wasn't it so grounding though to recognize the needs of basic necessities? You had to care for animals that can't care for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that was really good and. Um, and you couldn't skip on things. You, you just had to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And that um, was just, uh, I guess, just ground into my, into my mind. And it's been very helpful for the rest of my life and how I've looked at everything. So anyway, um, but at some point in there, we moved off of that farm to a farming community. And uh, we moved into a ward where they had this great scoutmaster, and he had this lovely daughter. There it is. <laughs> Same ward. Same ward. So I met my wife, Gayla, when I was 11, almost 12 years old. Wow. We moved into their ward. And again, it was farming community just outside of Blackfoot. And uh, uh, so we kind of grew up together, so to speak. You know, same ward, singing the ward choir together. Um, you know, did a lot of stuff together. I saw her all the time. And um, at some point in high school, I think we knew that, you know, we had some attraction here, but um, I wasn't very cool. I'm still not very cool, but then I was way, a long ways away from being cool. So we didn't hang out and date in that way, but we were great friends. And we spent a lot of time together just talking about life and uh, just had a wonderful time. And after I, and I, I wanted to get out of Idaho and away from the farm business so badly that I the day I graduated from high school, I left and moved to Las Vegas. Wow. <laughs> and I lived in Las Vegas for a summer. Doing and what? Just, I worked at this water park down there called Wet and Wild. It was just, it was just a ton of fun. Awesome. I lived down there with my uncle and uh, just had a wonderful summer. And anyway, when the summer was done, I was like, oh, I guess I need to go get on with school. And I did that. Went on a mission after a year of school. I went on a mission and I was called to serve in clear over in Portland, Oregon, which was kind of funny because my friends, um, one of them had just received his mission, my, my roommates um, at, at Rick's where I had gone to school for a little bit. Um, one of them was going to Australia and one of them was going to, to um, um, Bristol, I think was his mission in the UK. So everybody was going and I went over to Oregon. <laughs> it's like not very far. Um, but then once you get there, you, uh, same thing happened to me. They had just opened India and Russia the year I went on my mission. Mm. And I had friends going to both from oh. my BYU ward. And then I got New Jersey. Ah. And so you, you do have that like, oh, the exotic hope. But then you get to a stateside mission and how great is it? Oh. You can already speak the language. You can teach on the first day. You have access to stores and restaurants. Like, yeah, there was just some wonderful things about serving stateside. Yeah. I mean. The, the first day that we got there, um, the, the assistants picked us up at the airport. And I still have this vivid memory of we went to Taco Bell before we went over to because we were all just off the plane, you know, coming clear from Salt Lake. Okay. It was a long journey. <laughs> so we went to Taco Bell before we went to the mission office to meet the mission president. I'm like, you know, I know how to order at this Taco Bell. And it, so that was nice in, for me. And I didn't, I didn't really want to go to some crazy mission. My older brother was in Korea and I was scared to death I was gonna end up in Korea. So when I 
got the mission call to go to Oregon, I'm like, this is great for me. The other thing that was interesting is that um, it became clear to me at some point, and I don't know when, that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And the Lord put me right where I needed to be to learn the things I needed to know, to strengthen my testimony, to build my testimony, and to get me ready for the rest of life. Um, and I will tell you that I have wonderful friends who, who didn't have the opportunity to serve missions, and they are still going to learn all the lessons that they need to learn. And they're going to have all the same opportunities. But for me, being in Oregon on my mission with my mission president, who was hugely impactful in my life, that set in motion a lot of really important things for me. Um, and I'm so grateful to have had that time and that the Lord knew where I needed to be. And um, I went to work. Now, there were hard times and there were great times and everything in between. I was just recently looking at my mission journal and I was like, man, I was really struggling right at that point in that specific city. That was hard. Um, but then, um, you know, I'd wait two weeks later and I'd be reading and I'm like, we're teaching all these people. We're having these amazing experiences, and um, I tend to remember those amazing things. And I have to go back to my journal to realize, yeah, there were some really crappy times in there, too. Yeah, that, so. that's the incredible part of a mission. It's like a whole life in two years. You have the ups, the downs. You see the service. But everything's at higher intensity. It's like a condensed mini get ready for what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you that that's when... All of these things came alive for me. The Book of Mormon just came alive. The Prophet Joseph Smith just came alive for me. And um, for me, that's the time I needed. And again, there's a lot of fabulous people in the church that didn't have to go on a mission to learn all that stuff. But me, probably because I was a knucklehead all the way through high school, <laughs> I needed that time for the gospel to really come alive, for that to shape what I was going to do. That's amazing. So what did forward. you do coming home from the So mission? I came home from a mission. I went to a college in southern Idaho because I had no money. And so that was cheap. My parents lived in Twin Falls by this time. And I went to college in southern Idaho for a year and a half. And um, just had a just great experience. Tiny little institute there. And uh, was a part of that little branch at the time. It was a YSA branch. And I taught Sunday school. That was back in the day where you taught every single week. So it kept me really sharp. And again, I think the Lord's hand was in that. Uh, it just... Being preparing to teach a Sunday school class every week, and we were in Doctrine and Covenants that that first semester I came home, and my mission president loved the Doctrine and Covenants. He was always talking about it, so I got to teach that. Being home two weeks from a mission every week, so I was deep in the scriptures all the time, and that really helped with that transition. Again, maybe the Lord knew, you know, I got to keep Lance focused here, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got to keep him in the scriptures every day, and uh, that's, that's also what he does with the calling. You know, when yeah. you go all in a calling, he teaches you how to rise to it. And he magnifies all of your talents and abilities to make that happen. Yes. And the other side of that calling is that if we if we are not, you know, all in, I love that phrase. If we're not, it can become a burden to us mm -hmm. because we feel like I should be doing something and I'm not and I don't know what to do. And when people come to me and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck, don't know what I should do. I say, here's how we do it. You just start today. And I'll tell you, the Lord will help you today in that calling. If you don't feel like you're quite doing it right, what do you think you can do today? Well, I could do this. I'm like, that's right. And all of a sudden, you're serving in your calling, just like that. So I love that. Anyway. So much uh, easier than dwelling on what you haven't done. Just start with what you've got. Yeah. Just make a step forward, and the Lord's ready. He's waiting for us. 
So anyway, it was a great opportunity. I came to Boise State after that, and um, I've shared with several people in the stake that I, when I landed here, I actually I called a few a few weeks before I moved to Boise. I called the institute, and I said, "Hey, is there are there any names posted on the board over there for people looking for roommates?" That's how it happened in those days. <laughs> Before Facebook, before That's all the Treasure Valley yeah, housing. Exactly, <laughs> before that Facebook page and this and this wonderful secretary, I wish I knew her name, she said, hold on a second. She came back and said, here's a number. And she said, I know this this house is right across the street from the institute. And I'm like, that's awesome. I can walk to school. I can walk to the institute. I called these guys. It's a wonderful guy. He's turned out to be a lifelong friend. And he said, yeah, I think, it, I think it'll work for you here. So I moved in. I didn't know any of these guys. Sight unseen. Sight unseen. But again, the Lord just put me where I needed to be. And I think he put me there because I was willing to, I'd shown willingness. Far from perfection, far from any of those things, but willingness. Mm -hmm. I showed. And he just kind of led me down this path and I ended up with these great friends right here across the street from the Institute, right across, I mean. Right across from the admin building. I mean, you're a step from campus. And and at that time, the business building was that building straight back there. So I could go from, from my house to my accounting or finance or whatever classes right there. Three minute walk, two minute walk. So anyway, it was just fabulous. And again, I feel like the Lord was just guiding me and he had his hand out in front of me and upon me and, and um, I, I found my way and, and um, I was just very, very blessed. But I had chosen to be involved in this kind of thing and that was my choice was to funnel my energies and attention to call the Institute first, and then to be a part of this ward, and and then the doors open for me, which was awesome. It happens when you put the Lord first. I, I think that's why that commandment is first. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength. And when you give the Lord everything, he does gush in his blessings. Yeah. And then second, we love our neighbor and our friends and our peers, right? But he's got to be first in our life if we want things to fall together. Yeah, because I think if we're doing that, we'll we'll seek and receive inspiration from the Holy Ghost and we'll know what we should be doing. Yeah. Anyway, so that was wonderful. I came here, studied marketing. I knew that I... Um, um, I wasn't going to be great at technical kinds of things, but I loved the idea of how do people make decisions? How does advertising impact the way that people, um, you know, spend their money or spend their time? And and that was just fascinating to me. So I studied marketing, and then um, during that time, my lovely wife came home from her mission. Where did she serve? She served in the Oregon Portland mission. No. Same mission. It's a crazy story. We grew up together. I went on my mission, came home, um, knew that she'd been out doing all kinds of interesting things, going to school and just all kinds of interesting things. And then she decided to go on a mission. She called me up and said, hey, I got my mission call. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to Oregon. I'm like, no, you're not. Quit messing with me. I'd been home from that mission for two months. And she's like, I'm going to Oregon. I'm like, what? I just couldn't believe it. Wow. So she. And this is back when you went at 19. She had to wait till 21. It's exactly right. right. Yep. Yep, so I'd been home and she went, I came home in July, she went on her mission in January. So she had six months with my same mission president, who I'd gotten to know very, very well. And uh, anyway, that has tied us together, which has been so fun. So where did she land after her mission? She came here. She said, I'm coming there because I think we have something we need to get really serious about. So I always tell people, she went on her mission felt the spirit and knew it was me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm taking way too much credit, but but we had always felt like there was something 
that we really needed to understand about one another. Mm-hmm. And um, like there, there could be some great opportunities for us here. There's much more to the story, and someday I'd like to tell you the whole story. But That may be a whole other podcast. It, we'll it, have to include Sister Millington yeah, on that podcast. Yes, actually, there's two different stories of how this whole thing came about. <laughs> but, um, but she came here, and sure enough, within six weeks, we were engaged. Six weeks. Six weeks. Two months after that, we were married. Wow. So she came home at the end of July and moved here in August. We were married in November. So we just celebrated 32 years last week. Congratulations. So, That's But awesome. we knew, you know, we spent so much time together. We just really knew. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, that's been, what a blessing. My goodness, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you know what to graduate in, and where did it take your career? Well, I, I just, I just marketing was as close as I could get, right, to what I thought I might want to do. And in those days, when you left school, um, you didn't have recruiters coming around trying to help you get jobs, right? Mm-hmm. It was go find something. And I couldn't find anything for a good six months. And my wife's like, what are, what are you doing? You know, you just spent all this time and energy working over here. And uh, what are you going to do? And finally I got a job um, with a small company. Actually, it was a, an entity of Micron called Micron PC. What's interesting is that during my um, junior and senior year here, I had an internship working for IBM. And so I ended up sort of in the tech world almost by accident because um, I wasn't really a techie guy, but I got into the sales side as an intern at IBM. And so I kind of pointed my direction toward tech sorts of things. But you had to go find your own job. There were no job boards. There was no LinkedIn. There was none of that great stuff. You had to just go find somebody who may have a job. It was hard, really hard in those days. But anyway, I got a job with an entity of Micron that was making PCs called Micron PC. And I went to work in sales. And uh, I thought, well, I guess I'll try selling stuff. And people would say, you're a fairly good talker. You should try that. So I did. Went to work in sales in, uh, in technology. And um, uh, I spent about five years there. I went from there to uh, HP. I spent 18 years working for HP um, in sales and marketing kinds of roles. So I moved a little bit toward a, a blended kind of a role. And... Um, I ended up, when I left there, I was managing a team of salespeople across the western U.S. that called on our biggest partners. I had a wonderful, wonderful experience there. And, um, and I think that to get that first job, again, the Lord was looking out for me. Actually, the second job, I should say, when I was kind of tired with what was going on at Micron PC and felt like I had stalled out, um, I had a good friend who had actually been my bishop here in the YSA ward who worked for another tech company. I called him and I said, is there anything going on that you might know about? I'm thinking about doing something different. He said, yes, you need to call this person because the hiring manager for this is coming in from Boston next week. So you need to call him right now. I called him and it's like, boom, the doors opened and I had this job that really shaped the rest of the next 25 years of my career by making that one phone call to a man I'd met in the church. So you talk about the blessings of the gospel. Yeah. Um, I knew him. He's still a wonderful friend. And uh, uh, anyway, because I'd chosen to be around the church and he was in a position, I just, it just came together. And it was such a blessing. And really, it, the next 25 years of my career were because of that phone call and that interview and what happened from there. Isn't it just, amazing those pivotal points that, that come together and the Lord's always right there in that crossroad? Yeah. If you're, if you're looking for him to be there, yeah. I, think, I think he's there, but to what extent do we expect him to be there? 
and and ask things of him that we we should expect, right? Well, President Nelson said we need to seek and expect miracles. Yes, right. And and he meant that literally. Keep your eyes open. Watch where the Lord is in every crossroad, in every pathway, in every day. He's always around. We just don't always acknowledge how much he's a part of our existence. That's right. That's right. Um, and I think that you know when we're when we're told to in all thy ways acknowledge him. Mm-hmm. Um, that acknowledgement leads to more blessings. I Always. Think. Yeah. Always. And the Lord loves effort, right? He, he loves us to see us trying to, to be moving in good directions, and he supports that. It's when we don't try that we wonder, well, where is he? Well, yeah. we've got to give something yeah. to receive something. Yeah, and I think that there, I mean, we, we read about it. Um, it's after the trial of our faith that these blessings come. And so all these these things that I've talked about, how I can see the Lord's hand in my life, I'm leaving out the parts where I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was going to get stuck. And I felt like maybe I would have no job for a while or whatever it might be. There's that side of this thing. So um, I think it's really important to know that some of these things I've spoken about don't come just because the doors just open. There were moments and days and weeks and sometimes a couple of years of wondering, what am I supposed to be doing here? Um, but I think that the idea that the Lord loves effort, like President Nelson has taught, the effort is, am I on the right track? Am I working hard? Am I doing my part? And am I expecting that at some point the next door will open? And I think that's a lifelong thing too, by the way. I don't, I don't think that when you turn, I'm 55. I don't think when you turn 55, that stops and it's all done. I think that continues to the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're always growing. We're always learning. We're, our, we're, we're, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. And the things that we have learned help to guide and inform the next things we're going to do. And that goes on for the rest of our lives. I hope so anyway. We ought to be learning. We ought to be getting more faith. We ought to become uh, even closer, more intimate with the, the promptings of the Spirit and, the, and understanding the Lord's blessings in our lives for our whole life. Absolutely. Yeah, Aristotle's like, we are what we repeatedly do, right? And so our daily efforts, those little things that we repeat all the time in church, if we are on our knees talking to our Maker, and if we're opening the Scriptures and, and being taught by Him every day, those sound like such small things, but they make all the difference. All the difference. The yeah, all the difference. Absolutely. In my career, um, working for big companies like HP and Oracle and Underwriter Laboratories, these big companies, um, I traveled a lot. So I was gone probably three times a month. I'd be gone for maybe three days, two to three days. Fortunately, I didn't have a lot of international stuff. So, you know, I would go to Chicago for two days or Dallas for a couple of days or to Seattle or Portland or, you know, San Francisco or L.A. I was just always regionally mostly. And I'd be gone for a couple of days. Um, And so, you know, I was hopping on planes all the time and I was um, in large groups of different kinds of people. And... um, I didn't necessarily make a choice. I don't. I feel like the choice had for me to be who I am had been made a long time before that. But as I started to get into these groups of people, and I rarely worked with people who are members of our faith. Um, in my career, I know of a couple of people that were members of the church. But for the most part, I worked with people who are not. And so we'd spend a lot of time, you know, we'd go out to dinner a lot. And we'd do, I mean, just, you're doing those things a lot. And it became really clear early in my career who I was, you know. You're not drinking? Nope. Why is that? Well, and then in those days, you'd say, I'm LDS. And uh, sometimes known as Mormons. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And rarely did I have any other conversation besides that, right? 
I've gotten better now at saying I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're like, hmm. I said, sometimes we're called by our nickname, the Mormons. Oh, okay. But I established who I was early, and I was never ashamed or afraid of that. Um, that made it super easy for me to, to move among very interesting, diverse groups of people. Um, and to be in them when, they're, when we're having big celebration dinners. I can remember we'd be at these amazing steakhouses in Chicago. Every person in that around that table was drinking except for me. And if I wasn't at the table when they came to get my the drink order, they would get me my drink, which was club soda and cranberry with a lime. And everybody came to know that's what Millington is having. And um, and it just became the thing. Everybody accepted me for a while. And I, so when I established early on who I was, I really never had to have more conversations about that unless I was meeting new people. And then it's like, I've done this before. This is no big deal. That's, and that's a powerful truth, I think, even with our youth. When we teach them early on what modesty is, when we teach them early on what, what we watch or don't watch or what are good things to do or not do, you make those decisions as a child. And they're so much easier when you're a teen. And if you make a decision to stay in the church as a teen, it's so much easier when work gets stressful and families get stressful. And those pre-decisions are, are what make the road you travel so much easier if yeah. you're prepared with them. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's so interesting you should say that because I think a lot of times when we teach um, the, the teenagers in the church, the youth, we teach them, hey, make this decision right now while you feel the Spirit of what you're going to do when you're faced with these difficult circumstances. And I think maybe we think, okay, that applies to me until maybe I'm married or something. No, it applies for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. It applies to everything. So I never had to make a decision about whether or not I'm going to participate with these guys. The decision has already been made. And if I stand up for who I am, they will respect me. And it absolutely held firm in my career. And I think, in fact, my career um, accelerated at times because I was known for to be a person of integrity. I said who I was, I did what I said who I was, right? <laughs> it all was consistent. And so managers would look at me and at, at times when I was 30, 32 years old, I was managing these big accounts and this, all, these, all this revenue stream. And I think part of it was because they knew that I was a guy who was consistent and had integrity and wasn't waffling on anything, mm -hmm. on you anything. Were, you were steadfast with your love of the Lord first. Yeah. And, and when you are committed to him and, and he has said, take care of your body, don't drink or, you know, do the following things. You made your commitment to him first, which helped your commitment to man and to work and to other things. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. And, and that's it's a lifelong lesson. I, w I wish so many of our young adults truly could feel and, and grab onto when the Lord's first in your life. It's easy to do the things you're supposed to, regardless of what other people think. Yeah. We care a lot about what other people think right now. We, there's a lot of that going on in the world. And yet, why? Why do we care about man's opinions? Men come and go. Friends come and go. But the Lord is steadfast. Right. And when we care mostly about what he sees that we're doing, it makes the difference in the choices that we make. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he'll expect things from us that will be great blessings in our lives. During this time, um, I was 35 when I was called to be bishop for the first time. And my youngest daughter, who a lot of our young single adults know, they know her really well because she was around for the summer and got made made great friends in our ward. And anyway, or in the, in the YSA fifth ward. Anyway, she was six weeks old when I was called to be a bishop, and we had three other children, and I was traveling all the time. And but 
my wife never questioned that. Like her commitment was, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to raise a good family. And by the way, I have this job that does a decent job of providing for us. And it's something I loved doing. And we just figured it out. Um, but I think it's because our commitment was, we'll do what the Lord has asked us to do. So I'd be gone for three days during the week, and then I'd come home and I'd have an interview night or I'd need to go spend time with the youth. And then on Sunday morning, I'm gone before the light of day. I come home at four o'clock in the evening and my wife never, ever, ever complained about any of it. For almost six years, she's raising this family and I'm bouncing around and doing all this stuff. We're trying to make it all work. Somehow it all worked. And I think it's because we were dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to building up the church in our own small little way um, and doing our best to be obedient. I say doing our best because nobody's perfectly obedient, but we were trying hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and anyway, we were both committed to what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she's more committed than I've ever been. I mean, <laughs> she's awesome in that way. She has the same sort of background as I do. And anyway, um, we had that foundation which is so important. It's, it's, it's basically built our whole marriage, this foundation of um, we're going to be obedient, we're going to do what the Lord's asked us to do, and then we'll stand and see what the Lord does for us. Mm-hmm. And so far, it's been such a blessing. So, And I've had a great career. Um, just a couple of years ago, I was traveling all over creation, and our, our children were just about out of the house. And I decided, you know what, I'm kind of tired of the airplanes after 25 years. I'm tired of the airplanes. I'm tired of all this stuff. And what should I do? And um, I have a business partner who, by the way, was a great friend from our first married student ward way back in the day. And he said, you know what, you should think about um, being a commercial real estate broker. You love that stuff. And we own some properties together. And he said, you're great at that. You should think about that. And so I did. That's what I did. I just jumped out of the corporate airplane and um, I'm a commercial real estate broker now and loving it. And, and what's interesting is that that flexibility that, you know, not having to get on planes and stuff has made it so that um, I'm a little bit more available and a little bit more in town. And I think that that may have had an impact on the time that I had to go serve again, be called as a bishop of YSA Fifth Ward. I, I had the flexibility, the time and the control over my schedule to, to maybe serve in a way that that um, would be helpful. Had I been gone all the time, I don't know that that would have fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't know if the Lord would have looked at it and said, he's got the time, Millington can do this. So I feel like this blessing that we've had to serve with the young single adults has been a result of, you know, off-ramping out of one part of my career into another part of my career, which has just been wonderful. So anyway, I'm having a great time with that and hope to be able to work for a lot a lot of years. They're so lucky to have you. Maybe as we conclude today, what would, what would be your message that you would love all young adults to hear um, as a leader in their stake presidency? Yeah, and for any any of our young single adults who have been in the fifth ward and have been hearing me <laughs> talk about this whole time, I think there's a few themes that, that are always on my mind. The first one is that the Lord knows us. He really does. He never forgets us and never gives up on us. He's there. We think about standing at the door and knock. He is there. Um, and and these miracles come, but that trial of our faith has to be there. I think that he, like, I, like you have said, and like the prophet has said, he loves effort. He wants us to know that he's there and that it's going to take a little bit of effort and work on our part in expression of our faith. But I also believe that he will immediately hear our prayers and often answer them in a very real way early in our journey. 
and often in our journey, wherever we might be. So I think that's really important. The next thing is I think there's power in our covenants, great power in our lives, in things that we can't even understand. There's power in keeping our covenants. Um, and that's really super important. I think the other thing is, and I've been talking about this ever since the prophet started inviting us to think about things this way, um, and the general idea is, how do we let God prevail? What does that mean to let God prevail in our lives? I'm learning more about that all the time in my life. Um, what does that mean? And it, 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 can t- it can mean a lot of different things for each of us individually, but the idea is, what is it that we think is so important that maybe isn't that important, that we can set to the side and allow God to replace it with something that's more, more important and more lasting? And that idea of letting God prevail, being obedient and watch the miracles unfold before us, I think is so important. Um, And it takes faith. It absolutely does. I don't discount that at all. But if we do that, we'll see him prevail. We'll see him go forward um, ahead of us and open the doors and, uh, and invite us to step through. And anyway, I think that the blessings in our lives that we see from the gospel are there for all of us. And uh, my invitation is the same all the time. Um, you know, seek the Lord. Um, do it through daily habits. Make sure that he understands that you're ordering your life in a way that you invite him in and then let him prevail. And it leads to great blessings, not without challenges or trials or anything else, but it leads to... But it's the road you want to be on. It is, absolutely. And I know that to be true. I absolutely know that it's true. And I'm I'm convinced more than I ever have been in my life that the Lord is at the at the head of this church and he knows us. That's how that's how big his thinking is and how individual his thinking is. And uh, anyway, it's a great blessing in my life. Hope it is for everybody else's as well. Oh, it will be for sure. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Been a pleasure.